going right now. Okay, perfect. Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, it is the 20th of April, and I don't know, we have a very special guest on today. It's just going to be me and uh, her today. She is Ursa Liang. She is a documentary filmmaker, and she has a new film out called uh, Down a Dark Stairwell. Um, you can find it on the PBS app or PBS streaming. And uh, I don't know. I do you do you remember this a few years ago, Ursula? Like we were on a panel together somewhere at NYU. I totally remember that. I definitely <laughs> remember that. That was uh, meeting Jay for the first time in a very strange uh, conference room of some sort. I don't, what were, were we talking about? Like I, I imagine we were talking about like because it was about sports or something. So we were probably talking about Jeremy Lin. But I actually was thinking about it this morning. I can't remember what it was actually about. I actually think it was Jeremy Lin. I couldn't remember either. But in my head, there was like a big poster board somewhere on an easel. Then we came in, and the only person they probably would have had on that poster board is probably Jeremy. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we were the um, Asian sports experts of the hour. I, I asked you. I remember, like, what are you working on? Because I had uh, really liked the the film that you had done, uh, Nine Man, and you were like, "Well, I'm doing something about Peter Lang," and I was like, "Wow," <laughs> you know. And then, and then here it is, right? I think it was that must have been like three years ago. How long did it take you to sort of do oh, this God. do this film? Every time, I think it's going to take not as much time as it takes. Um, we started filming in 2016, and it's 2021 right now, so. Um, you know, it's been on the, the festival circuit for about a year and now uh, released onto to, to the, national, the national audience, but it's, it took a while to make, yeah. Editing is the toughest part with a, with a long-form documentary, and that, you know, that alone takes a, a year of your life. Yeah, like, I mean, the, we, we'll, we'll get into all of that because, like, one of the things that I was sort of impressed by was just the access that you had, and with my tiny amount of knowledge, you know, on documentary film, just working on television shows, like, man... I was just picturing you with like a camera or, you know, with a DP sitting in these meetings and council meetings for hours and hours and hours and hours to try and get, you know, these scenes that you got that were so sort of, you know, uh, that that were so intimate and, you know, things that people I don't think have ever seen before. And so, yeah, we can talk about that in a bit. But like um, just to start off, you know, like what what made you want to make this what made you want to make this film? Um, just just for the listeners, you know, it, it's it's about the uh, you know, it's about the killing of Akai Gurley. It is. But it is not just about that moment. In fact, it's mostly about what happens afterwards. Right. Like uh, sort of the organizing that's happening in Chinatowns, both in Manhattan and Brooklyn. It's about the organizing that's happening on the side of the people who you know, want police accountability. Um, it's about. Yeah, it's just about communities. I, I, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but to me, like the way that I saw it was just like, well, this is about different communities responding to this tragedy. Um, so yeah, what, what made you want to make this film? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I was um, keyed in on the case right away um, because I was paying close attention to the very active and um, urgent Black Lives Matter movement that was happening right before this um, this case came to be. Um, and, and also the, the, the officer has my last name. Um, so, you know, I read this in the paper in a little blurb somewhere. This was about four months after the Eric Garner case. Um, it was very clear to me that this was going to be a different type of story because it involved a Chinese American and it was going to involve my community in a different way. It also, you know, it was going to involve a guy with my last name and actually my brother's actual name. My brother has the same first name. So when the incident happened, I wrote my brother and I was like, you know, you might be getting some emails from people and might not know what it's about. He lives oh, in yeah, California. Like Facebook, yeah. yeah, I was like, just just know that this might get a little hot. So um, it was something I was paying attention to right away. And, you know, I'm a self-taught journalist, filmmaker and lost track of the case a little bit along the way because the, the rhythm of like the legal system is very... Uh, confusing to folks that are not used to it. And um, I came back into the story much later um, when the case was actually in full swing and and saw how um, it was affecting the Chinese American community. And not, uh, you know, the scale of it was something that really impressed me. The scale of the involvement of the Chinese American community was unlike anything I'd seen before. And um, for me felt very historic from an Asian American perspective. And I was, I, I think it was kind of clear to me that while people thought it was an interesting story, they weren't aware of the historical significance to our community. And so um, I thought that I could film 
with that kind of knowledge and make a different make a different kind of film and, and tell a different type of story than the many other journalists that were covering the story. Right, right. Because I think that people just saw the, the the product of that organizing, right? And they had feelings about it, including me. Like I wrote something about it and it was just from seeing the protests themselves. Um, just, you know, for to remind people, you know, these were nationwide protests or rallies that were held in support of of Peter Lang, which you, um, you know, which you document quite well that, you know, there was one in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, not even Seattle. nationwide, international, you know, you it's, it, this is a New York city case specific to New York city laws and American laws. And there were protests in Canada too. So it's, <laughs> you know, th- that, that was, um, that definitely piqued my interest. It seemed like every Chinatown, right? I mean, I exactly. grew up near Raleigh, North Carolina. I was like, I didn't know that there were Chinese people in Raleigh, North Carolina to even hold a, to even hold a rally. Um, well, the first question was, you know, and, and this is something that, like, I, I, I've thought about a lot, which was like, do you remember, like, when you first heard this news, right? Like, that, that this, that Akai Gurley had been shot in the stairwell and had been killed, um, and that the officer who had shot him was, you know, had the same name as, as your brother, right? And was obviously somebody from your community. Like, what, what was your, what was your reaction? I think it was just like an oh no. I mean, I think folks that are not used to having a lot of representation in the media cringe every time we do get mentioned in the media and it's negative. Um, So it it was, you know, I don't know, I feel like Muslim Americans can relate to this anytime there's some sort of major catastrophe, if it's, uh, you know, you're hoping that it's not someone from your community. And that's sort of the, the, that was sort of the sinking feeling I had. It was just, oh no, this is now now we're involved in in this terrible um this terrible and very urgent topic yeah it's like it's almost like a feeling that you feel almost ashamed about because obviously it's been a tragedy and then you feel almost like i i I felt that way for years about mass shootings because of virginia tech you know right right just feel like every time there was a mass shooting i would be like that's horrible and then my second thought you know which i couldn't really control is just like please don't be Korean. Exactly. <laughs> and then you just wait for the, I think I still do it, you know? And so, um, yeah, it was, it, it's strange. Like, did, so did that sort of go into the way in which you thought about the film where you're just like, all right, well, you know, like how do I mediate these thoughts? Well, you know, it's interesting because when you, all you want as a person with not enough representation in the media is the opportunity to tell stories without fear of that. Um, you know, you want to be able to tell nuanced stories where your guy is the bad guy, but you need to have enough representation in the world to be able to do that. And so I think um, it's, you know, I think I got a lot of pushback in the beginning from folks within the community about telling this story because they knew that, um, you know, the Asian American subject in the story was not a positive, you know, model minority portrayal. And so, um, and so that made it you know, I think people fear fear having those negative portrayals out there. But I think it's really important to have like nuanced portraits of our community, ones that are not just um, out there for you know PR. And um, so, you know, I, I think I think I was constantly aware of needing to be really real and true to the story um, because that's what I want to do. And I think that you know, as a community, a lot of our storytelling is really limited by the fact that folks are a little are pulling punches. And so, I wanted to make sure that I. I was, um, you know, asking tough questions and interrogating people in on all sides of the story in a, in a very honest way. Well, and there's also this like sort of I, I don't even know if it if if class is the right word, but sort of like generational and immigrant uh, block where the people who tell these stories are generally people like you know are second generation, you know, elite college educated people who have assimilated quite a bit. And that they might not have connections to these communities anymore, even if they grew up in them. And it was really, you know, I think the thing that the film does is that it is so deeply, you know, in a verite style inside of these communities that, um, you know, I found it to be like totally revelatory in a lot of ways. And so like one of the scenes in the film, I think this is right at the start, is that you're in Sunset Park and there's a guy named uh, John, right? And he's a restaurant owner in in Brooklyn's Chinatown, I think. And, you know, his perspective was really interesting. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it, because I think one of the things he says is he says, like, the black community is not treated fairly. And then he says, we are not treated fairly either. And we're, t- we're walking side by side. Now, this is the type of sentiment that I saw in a lot of the signs and from the speakers at these sorts of rallies, right? Like, we're also a minority group. 
and we're being scapegoated in this way. Was that, was that like a common expression that you heard during your years of sort of documenting this community that like this comparison of like, we're also an oppressed people. And so like, why aren't we, you know, why are, why are we sort of being thrown under the bus here? Absolutely. I mean, it wasn't said in so many poetic words all the time, but I mean, I think the feeling from the Asian American community in particular, the one that supported Peter Leung was um, that we never get to have grievances. We never get to air our grievances or we never get to be heard because um, the grievances of other communities are are overshadowing ours, are urgent and and they're um, they need attention. But it's I think it's this constant feeling of not being able to voice, um, you know, the, the oppression and, and having to like swallow the bitter fruit or whatever you want to call it. Um, because this sort of like, we have this oppression Olympics in this country. Um, I think, I think that was the constant feeling. And I was very struck by another subject of the film, Jack, because he, he did it in a very visual way. And he just talked about like levels of oppression in this country. And he really put like Asian people at the bottom and he put his, you know, hands down on a line. And, um, when he said that, I was I was a little bit shocked by that, and I, I've had a lot of like African American screeners watch the film, being uh, very surprised that that was like his true um, his true understanding of like the political and social and uh, oppression hierarchy in this country. Right, that right. Asians he were at the said bottom. we're th- we're third class politically behind blacks and Latinos, right? Yeah, and he said uh, basically politically nobody listens to. Asian Americans like what, what was that was so that was surprising for you to hear or like uh, um, I don't know I mean I do know that there's no attention paid to the community politically because of right. our because our numbers and because of um, the way we operate politically in this country I think we had a really um, groundbreaking year in politics and I think a lot of movement was made in terms of who's paying attention to us but um, I don't know it, it did it shouldn't have struck me, but it did strike me when I heard that, when I heard him say that in the interview. And I think maybe it struck me because he voiced it. You know, he said it out loud. And and I think that there are folks that, um, there are a lot of folks that don't agree with what he said and agree with don't agree with that order. Um, and there are a lot of folks that do, but the fact that somebody feels that way is legitimate, whether or not there's truth behind what he's saying. And I think that that feeling of constantly not being heard and not being listened to was a lot of the root of, um, you know, the emotion that went behind the, the the protesters in this case. And, you know, we had a tough time building um, the film in some ways because a lot of folks want the, the argument to be very logical and not emotional. And when you like look at the logic of the case and, you know, the facts of the case or the facts of, the, you know, the legal stuff that's all behind it, um, you know, certain arguments and certain perspectives sing better than others. But there is an emotional component to the Asian American perspective I think that has to be understood or felt and I think that's why Asian Americans can understand a little bit um, where it's coming from and other communities have a harder time experiencing that and I I remember distinctly screening this um, screening in an early stage for a friend who was thinking very logically and really wanted me to amplify the logical arguments and it really, you know, sort of hurt my feelings that we weren't expressing these things and he wasn't getting it. And I talked to another friend of mine um, and she was like, you know what, this is probably a person who might never get that point of view because he's really expecting it to come from somewhere in, in the brain. And it's and it's a combination of all these things. Right. Right. I mean, so th- this this guy, Jack, um, who I think is a software engineer. Right. And he had immigrated to the States in 1994. Um, he had done a lot of organizing himself he's like part of this movement of chinese americans who which you detail in the film which uh you know started with the jimmy kimmel show with skit on the jimmy kimmel show and then they moved on to education stuff and then they became a big force in the harvard case when i was writing about uh the harvard case i met you know one of his co-organizers in florida this guy at yukong Zhao that i've written about a couple times and I, I remember talking to him and, you know, he said the exact same thing that Jack said, right, which is that we have no power. You know, all these other groups have power because they know how to organize politically and have people listen to them. And I don't know, I, I found the same frustration taking place. Like, I think that that source of that source of frustration, which I agree with you, is emotional. Right. Like it's like, well, nobody listens to us and we go through things and nobody cares when we go through things. I also think that that was part of sort of the progressive response in terms of a lot of these anti-Asian hate attacks that were happening, right? Like it comes from a similar source of frustration. Yeah, Um, absolutely. 
Like, was that was that sort of like when you were going around to these protests and you're going around to the meetings, was that sort of like the animating spirit that you saw that it was that even outside of the case itself, it was just like, well, we have to do something because no one has ever listened to us. And now, you know, we're going to make them listen to us, you know, in this sort of really like fucked up situation in this fucked up way. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the Jimmy Kimmel um, case is sort of an interesting one because it was there, you know, we're living in this world where sort of like clickbait topics are really useful. And so um, the Jimmy Kimmel was incident was a very useful one to organize around because it was the kind of thing that would spread very quickly on social media and get really, you know, pique people's attention. Um, some of these smaller, softer cases, which have more logic to like why we would fight them are, are harder to get to people to rally behind. And this was another case that was going to have a lot of attention. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I'm not sure that they themselves would express it as like an emotional response, you know, that there was, that was the motivating factor behind uh, their organizing. I think there was, you know, to them very logical reasons why they were, they were organizing. Um, but yeah, this was another one of those cases that that was going to be able to to gather bodies. And I think there were some folks that participated in this case that weren't even necessarily super interested in the outcome of this case, but were interested in mobilizing Asian Americans, which is an important thing to look at. Um, you know, it's important to mobilize our community, number one, but it's also important to mobilize them for the right reasons. And it's important. Um, and for some folks, it was very important that they were the ones mobilizing and the, they were the ones that had the connections to all the folks that could be moved for future issues and uh, for future political power. Um, so you have this like, like you, you have this like sort of amazing access into these communities in the films, like we talked about before. There are these scenes for, for people who haven't seen it that are so intimate, you know, and, and, you know, I, I would say that it, speaks to your skill as a filmmaker because uh you know it's hard when you have a camera on people for them to act naturally and it just takes hours and hours of work we don't have to go into like the craft of that um although we could but the the question i have is how, how did this is a this is a community that is generally resistant to media coverage period right um right. it's hard, like the reason why we haven't seen these scenes a is probably because most people don't care right but it's also because you know people really don't want it, you know, like I've done reporting even without a camera in these communities. Uh, it's difficult a lot of times, like people are very, you know, people are very resistant to the press. Like how, how did you sort of find this access or how, how did you earn this access? Well, number one, I want to give thanks to um, two filmmakers who came out of NYU who were filming some of the material that um, was in uh, Chinese language material. So they were filming, um, and I was able to acquire some of their footage. So I definitely want to give credit to those um, women who did that work. Um, for me, a lot of, you know, I had made a film, Nine Man, that I spent a lot, many years in Chinatown. So I had a lot of relationships in Chinatown. And my understanding of Chinese culture is really um, that relationships and introductions are incredibly important. And so I think I had that, um, I had that access point already. And so, um, you know, I actually I went to that big rally in, in Brooklyn and, talk to random people, you know, just, just ask people to speak up. And, and I think at that moment, there were folks that really felt the sort of this collective strength um, and were willing to speak up and were inspired by the other speakers. So they were speaking to me, but, um, but then, you know, like some of the folks I talked to were people that knew, knew people that I, you know, I, I connected to them and somehow through people I knew in Chinatown through my first film. And so that, that resulted in me having like relationships that resulted in me getting closer and closer to subjects um, and getting introduced to folks. So um, you know, I think that it's it's a long-term relationship-building process when you're trying to report in these communities. Um, I will also mention that I don't, you know, I, I mentioned those women that filmed the stuff in in Mandarin and Cantonese, and I don't speak either of those languages. But I, um, you know, I think people who report on these communities are often afraid to enter the communities because they don't speak the language. You know, for my first film, we've just filmed a lot of stuff by just pointing the camera and translating it later. We did some of that here too. Um, but I think there's also having like, losing that fear and making sure that you are willing to approach those communities is really important. It's definitely difficult. You know, we, the interview that we did with, um, with, uh, John, uh, you know, I had like my intern sitting next to me and a friend doing the actual interview with questions that I wrote. And we would all be like scribbling and like pointing at each other all during the interview to try <laughs> to figure out if we got the answers or things that we needed. And we might not have gotten it all, but, um, you know, we did the interview and we got something. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it is like, I do think that the Asian American community is very resistant to media. Um, I think one of the beautiful things about the film is the black community is very open with me right away. And I think the black community has understood for a long time that the media can be very useful in, in building a movement. Um, you know, again, I think that there's fear from our community because there's so little representation that there's fear of what it will, what, what will result from speaking to the media. And I think that also stems from like, um, folks who come from other countries where the media is, is, is different and the government is different. And, um, all these things can add up to things that are really bad for you personally or your family. So I think there's like, you know, PTSD from, from folks who come from other places. Um, and, uh, you know, we definitely had the hardest time, um, accessing the Asian American community for this film. I think folks think that it was easier for me with my Asian last name and, um, cultural background that to interview the Asian folks, but that's not true. The, the folks that were the hardest to interview were, were the Asian Americans in this film. Were they, were they suspicious when you came in and that, that you would sort of paint them as being reactionaries or, you know, racist or, you know, doing this to, you know, try and get a cop off? Like, were they, were they, uh, were, like, what, what were their concerns? I mean, I don't think anyone said something like that specifically to me. I think, um, you know, people, when people believe what they believe, they don't necessarily see it from the opposite point of view. Um, right. I think there are scenes in the film that I was very nervous to show, like, to subjects, because I thought they might think we were portraying them unfairly or whatever, but there's, they see them, they see them from their own perspective. And so it's, um, so they don't necessarily see them as negative. Um, for instance, the police officer who's walking around the neighborhood and pointing right. out folks. Um, and, and, and I think he sees that as like um, him doing his job and other people will see it and read it in a different way, depending on their background. Um, I would, you know, the folks that were the Asian American community supporting the Kai Gurley family, I think was very wary of, um, you know, how the film would um, pit communities against each other and how, you know, what kind of narrative it would be. And, and all I could do is really be honest, you know, like, part of the honesty is when you're a documentary filmmaker, that's not doing like sort of a scripted sit down interview film that you have to have some openness to where the story takes you. If we're going to edit for a year, it sometimes becomes some, a little bit something different than what we thought it would be. Well, what were you expecting at the beginning? I mean, that's a, you know, cause I, 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 I watched this film and um, I was kind of, you know, I was really surprised, right. Uh, that at the restraint, I think is the correct word, right. That, um, there might be films that one would watch where it would be less nuanced and where there some scenes would be edited out, right? Um, sort of scenes that I think would lead to people thinking, wow, these two communities really don't like each other. Or, you know, there's divisions within these, you know, between these two and how are they ever going to see eye to eye? Like, uh, yeah, what were you expecting at the beginning and then what did you find? I mean, I think that a lot of people would be surprised at the... Uh the angle that I took on the film. I mean, I think most folks, I think, would have expected it to be more based on the case and the trial. Um, right. The fact is that I came to the filming a little bit later than that. And I knew from the beginning that this was sort of a story that was not about the story. Um, so that was always very clear to me. I, I think it was very clear to me from the beginning that I wanted to tell the film in present tense, even though there were parts that I wasn't there for. And so we wanted mm -hmm. to build the, the film in a way that felt like things were happening in the moment. I thought that that would give the... Um, the story is some longevity and and i think that it's important to like feel like even if this case is in the past um that these issues are still current um i was also you know i was very interested in um dialing down the volume of things you know there was a lot of coverage on this case and that's sort of you know as a journalist you're like it's very unnerving to take on a case. You're always doing this. I'm always impressed. Like you're always taking like the biggest story and, um, and taking a take on it. And I think that that's a really hard thing for me to do, especially with the, at the pace at which we do documentary films that they take so long to make. You don't want to be the person saying something that someone said four years ago. So, um, so for me, it was intimidating to be covering a story that there were plenty of other folks were covering. But, you know, the fact of the matter was that a lot of the folks were covering um, the loud stuff, you know, the stuff that was happening in these sort of soundbite moments, these three minute clips where people are yelling at each other in the streets. And so I think it was important for me to get to a place where we could take the volume down a little bit enough so that people didn't have the emotion um, to not be able to listen. Um, so if we could get to a place where we could have quieter conversations, folks who are on different sides of the case could listen a little bit more honestly to one another's points of view. 
Yeah, like I, I, one thing I was struck by was that, like, and this was something that came up around, you know, that group, right? The sort of Chinese organizing group that uh, around Harvard, which was that, yes, there was a lot of it that was funded by sort of deep-pocketed Republican donors, right? In that case specifically, but that didn't really have that much to do with the with the Chinese organizers themselves, right? They they were they felt much more, and I don't know who was funding them, and you know, it could be that there, I'm sure that there is some funding from those types of elements, but I think what your film uh, showed was that a lot of this is sort of community organizing, right? It's people who know each other, it's people getting together in public spaces, it's people sort of sitting in the back of restaurants together and talking talking it out. Um, and that felt totally new to me, right? And the, like you saying that this is sort of a landmark moment for Chinese Americans, uh, for the Chinese American community. Like, what, what what do you mean by that? Do you mean that like in terms of sort of figuring out how to organize politically? Well, I mean, just in terms of scale. I mean, we haven't. There are, there are people who argue this, but there haven't been very many large protests in our community where people are flooding out into the streets. I mean, nowadays you see it's a dime a dozen for the average American public. There's somebody protesting right. every. McDonald's French fry on the street, you know, it, and so people have actual protest fatigue when they look at these folks marching up and down. I live on I live on a really big street in the Bronx and like I'm constantly taking my cell phone out and they're filming like 12 people walking down with megaphones saying something. Um, but this was, you know, I think that people will will mention um, a case, another police uh, brutality case in, in New York. Um, there was a big outcry for that. Corky Lee has sort of a famous photo of, of that protest uh, as being a really large outpouring of Asian Americans. Um, and then they'll mention like the Vincent Chin stuff. Right. Um, and those, I can't think of too many other big moments um, where the community has come out. Um, yeah, I've lost track of your question. But... No, no, well, no. That, I mean, I think you're, you're, you're correct. Like, you know, for me, it was the corollary to Vincent Chin was very obvious, right? But that it mm-hmm. wasn't discussed in that context because it was, uh, you know, presume it was it was in support of a police uh, a policeman who had shot and killed uh, an unarmed black person in in, in the stairway of, uh, of of the pink houses, and so like you know like it doesn't quite fit in with a progressive narrative. Now, did, did that did that make you uncomfortable at all, or like like how did you feel sort of seeing that? Because I just remember when I was you know when I was sort of witnessing all of this or the witnessing the pro like I just felt deeply uncomfortable about it because I was well, like, well, this is clearly like what the like what Asian American or Chinese American or whatever is going to mean going forward, right? In terms of political activity. And is it going to be sort of this right wing politics or is it going to be conservative politics or do those do those labels even mean anything at this point? Well, I think that they're, um, you know, I think that it's, it's sort of the, a lot of the organizing that has been going on in the Chinese American community has been from a progressive point of view. The greater mass of Asian Americans have not been as organized. Um, yeah. So I think this is an important moment um, for the community because there is a realization that there's that it's a community that hasn't been lassoed um, and, and there are folks that are trying to, to capitalize on that, that are trying to bring, you know, there are, there are conservatives that are trying to bring our community um, to their side and, um, you know, by and large, Asian Americans vote very progressively. It's not, uh, you know, it's, I think people have a, a false sense of what we do politically, but, um, but there is movement in that other direction as there is movement in the black community and Latino community too. There are right. plenty of black tr- and Latino Trumpers. Um, so, but I think there was also like a kernel of truth that even progressives, you know, there's two things that happened here. Progressives were number one, like really, it, I think inspired by the the mobilization. The fact that all these people actually came out was something that um, that was really eye-opening and, and also pointed to some of the mistakes that the progressive organizing communities have been making, which is not including, you know, they've been organizing in sort of these working class spaces um, and immigrant spaces and not considering sort of the larger, very growing numbers in other parts of the Asian American community, the folks that came in, in secondary waves of immigration and have a different um, foothold in our culture. And that includes even like folks that are not Americans. Like there's there are tons of Asian people here in college that are interested in politics and interested in social issues and are not being sort of lassoed by those progressive movements. Um, and um so, so there's th- that was one thing, and then there's also sort of like this kernel of truth that, um, you know, whether or not people think that Peter Liang should have been um, let off, or given the you know, given the lack of sentence that he was given, uh, he was he was I think most 
folks agree that he was treated a little differently than other right. folks. And I think, you know, um, I think that you could, that, that you, you know, whatever side you were on, you could see that. Um, and, you know, I don't know, maybe that's not true. Maybe it is true, but it looks like it's true. And yeah, um, yeah, no, it, that's the discomforting part of it. Right. It's, yeah. uh, it's that, um, now would a white cop have been put through what Peter Lang was put through? I don't think so. You know, now does that change the, that whether or not the outcome was just, uh, I don't know, you know, like, I think that police officers shoot people, you know, this is just me personally. I think police officers who shoot people, you know, and then say it was accidental discharge, like, you know, they should face consequences regardless of, you know, race. But, um, well, there were some that, interesting cases I was tracking as this happened. And now my brain is a little fuzzy on no, uh, everyone's yeah. names. There's been so many cases, but you know, it's also, it wasn't just like a white cop, um, Asian cop, like he recently, I think his name is Muhammad Noor, you know, another sort of, you know, immigrant sounding non uh, boys club kind of guy also got convicted. There's and and um, and there were some I remember there were some black cops that had had some pretty egregious cases at the time in New York that right. also that also did not get convicted. So um, so there's also sort of this like idea of like, you know, who who's part of this like old boys club and who gets supported, you know, are are black, you know, a lot of the folks on the street, a lot of the black um residents of like East New York and, and um, Brownsville would tell me the black cops are just as bad. Um, And so there's sort of like who, who belongs to this like blue wall and, and, um, and this boys club, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to look at too. Well, yeah, I was very struck by the fact that when, after, after this happened, after Kai girl, after, after Peter Lang shot and killed Kai Gurley, the place that he went wasn't like the police union for support, right? Like, uh, like he went to to Chinatown. He tried to find people and support there. Like, what what sort of support exists? You know, like what what is sort of the structure of the community there, and uh, that and like what are the things that could actually you know why why did he think that he could find help there? And you know, like like where where does he go and like where does he start finding the support? that ultimately sort of metastasizes or grows into, you know, this, this movement. I mean, I don't know. I, I can't speak totally for him, but it, you know, Chinatown has a legacy of supporting its community. It's, it's historically been built uh, as a place that, um, that folks could find, um, you know, community. And, you know, there, you've got these uh, name, name clubs. When people came to this country, they would just, just find the Wong house and, and right. find the Wongs and the Wongs would help them if they had no other family here. Um, you know, you've got, um, you know, you've got this whole legacy of uh, self-policing too, you know, with, with, um, you know, whatever you want to call them, gangs or tongs or whatever in the community there, there's, there's also this, this level of um, self-protection and self-policing that goes on in the community, which, which happens in the black community too. It was a thread that I didn't get to follow in the film, but I thought was very interesting. Um, you know, there, you know, right now you've got Chinatown, you've got patrols going around Chinatown, um, community patrols and safety patrols that are happening in sort of the wake of this like anti-Asian violence wave. Um, and so there are all these different types of um, structures that are in place because the community doesn't feel like it's protected. It doesn't feel like it's protected by the police. It doesn't feel like it's protected by um, the laws and the government. And it doesn't feel like if it speaks out that it will get a response. So um, so I think that's, you know, that, that factors into like the support behind Peter is, is the, you know, if we weren't, if the community wasn't going to support him, who was going to support him? And this was a guy that to a lot of folks looked like somebody that was, Part of their family you know it's right. like a decent kid who had some education and you know not not a dirty record um and and it felt like family so i think that was when you you know i think there was a lot of like political puppetry going on but there were also folks who just said like this is this is like my cousin i gotta support him if i don't support him who does yeah yeah i mean like where where did you see the like you so you have uh you have someone in the film named kathy who is part of CAV, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and she sort of organizes in a progressive way. And I think she's instrumental in the film because she is, you know, organizing and supporting black activists and the family of Akai Gurley. Um, and that, you know, I, I think that if I, you know, did an informal poll of the Asian people that I know, right, I would say that close to 100% support would be on that side. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now that is with all the obvious caveats that the, my, 
particular bubble is generally assimilated second generation and uh, elite educated, right? Now, like where, where did you see the divides between between the, the people who would have, uh, you know, people who are organizing with the Gurley family who are Asian American and the people who were, uh, you know, sort of joining, joining up with, with this sort of, you know, um, justice for P- Peter Land group. I mean, like, I think where, if, if there was anything that I could like guess, it's sort of like, um, um, I guess like, fo- you know, how connected people are, are to people across, um, cultural divides. I mean, I think the folks that were in the, that were helping the Gurley family were folks that had interactions with other communities. A lot of Asian Americans are, are very isolated in um, Asian American bubbles. That's, that includes like the social media spaces they're in right. and the neighborhoods they live in and the enclave, the ethnic enclaves they live in and the ethnic uh, newspapers they read. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, you know, I think my bubble is kind of close to yours, uh, but but there are plenty of college educated Asian American, um, slightly woke folks that were on the Peter Leung um, band camp. And those, you know, I can I can think of like folks that were um, portrayed in my last film in Nine Man that were that I would think that a lot of those folks, um, you know, a lot of those folks would be in that camp, too. They they're just folks that whose whose um, social bubbles are very different and and that affects you know, their point of view. Um, you know, like another thing that I, I didn't really get to cover in the film is that this was all happening like right before the Trump election. And this was at the height of sort of like online disinformation that potentially was being stirred by foreign governments. But they were very interested, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing I, I don't have like all, all kinds of data in front of me. But, you know, there was I think there's been some proof that there's there's been interest in stirring up racial discord. Um, and so, you know, what I saw, you know, I have all these social media bubbles now myself that are not entirely progressive, not the folks that I went to college with. And um, so I saw a lot of this stuff coming through at the same time. And at this at the time that this case was going on, you were seeing a lot of these um, you were seeing a lot of this online um fan flaming fire flaming flame fire fanning of the flames yeah something fanning like of the flames. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even the greatest uh, comparison but yeah. um you know like there was there was like um that was at the time when there was uh, uh a person that was um cutting asian women's throats like there was like person attacking asian women and there was it was at the time where there were like a number of people being pushed on the new york sub- subway tracks right. um, who were asian victims and these are all things and like tons of like delivery guys getting robbed. And these were like the types of things that spread like wildfire on social media and um, makes the community feel like we're like literally we're not being just this is not like Jimmy Kimmel jokes. This is like our community getting like physically assaulted and, and violence happening to our community that no one is listening to. Um, whether or not that stuff was like current, whether that stuff was recycled, whether it was real news or fake news is another question. Um, but uh, that's sort of the environment with a, what a lot of these folks are seeing. And so we're not just talking about like folks with conservative leanings and like, you know, right. um, Second Amendment rights like champions. It's, um, you know, the average Asian American that didn't have a lot of like cross pollination with other communities was seeing all this stuff and had no counter counterbalance in terms of information. Right. Like so on our on our podcast, and I would say this like, you know, as a criticism, we tend to just sort of reduce things down to class analysis. But what's fascinating about this thing is that it's not like it's just working class Asian Americans, right? Like mm-hmm. it is actually sort of an enclave issue or an enclave. Yeah, I think split. so. Um, so, you know, some of these kids, like you said, who are in these bubbles, like they might be at UCLA or NYU or Columbia or something like that, right? Like it's not like kids, you know, it's not like people who are working in garment factories or something like that, um, right. where there can be this sort of like, well, you know, they're just poor, so they don't know. Um and that that issue of social media bubbles is so interesting because I don't know, I, I think about it in terms of this moment with like Asian American attacks where I think that a lot of people who are in like my specific bubble, right, are um, sort of traumatized by this. But you're right, like starting 2016, even before that, if you're in a different type of social media bubble, you're seeing these attacks all the time. right, yeah. and, and you're seeing them politicized in a way and racialized in a way that is, you know, that is not different from from the way that they are uh right now um you know like this is you know i like this is a question for you like outside of like you as the filmmaker and you know the the person who sort of made this nuanced and and really thoughtful film but i don't know did, like what how did you feel about sort of seeing the 
the organizing about towards towards uh you know to to try and get justice or whatever that would mean for peter lang i mean it was I think I felt the same way as a lot of the subjects in the film felt. It was it was really inspiring. It's like, you know, there are folks that showed up to some of those rallies and like wanted to cry for the first time. They they're in a space where there are like people standing behind them and next to them and in front of them that are fighting for the same thing they're fighting for. And that's just like a beautiful thing. Um, it. Uh, you know, I guess in some ways you're asking me to like out, lay out my politics. And I tried really hard with the film to not like to not do that, you know, to um, to not, you know, it's, it's obviously the film has a point of view, but, um, you know, I had a, you know, part of the re- the reason it was hard for me to get subjects to like come and get interviewed is because I would, you know, they would want to know exactly what I was doing. And I was like, right. you know, I'm trying to be journalistic about this. I'm trying to like, let people tell their own stories. If there are stories that they don't agree with, you don't agree with, they'll, you know, they'll look like they're hanging themselves in the film or whatever. But I couldn't, I couldn't be like, you know, these are my politics and this is what I'm trying to do with the film. Sure. I, um, you know, I think the organizing is, is exciting. Um, and it's, and I also think that it's, I see some elements of it that seem very politicized in a way that doesn't actually care about the issues. And, and I'm more interested in the issues and, and how we can move forward in positive ways for everybody. Um, I also like want, I, I think one of the things that I like to do is see the validity in in the organizing, even when I don't agree with what people are organizing about. And so I think it's important for us to look at that. You know, I think it's, you know, we've all been through this sort of trauma with this Trump, this Trump uh, era. And, you know, I, I think people criticize lots of journalists for trying to like humanize and write about these crazy Trumpers that are storming the Capitol and what's making them, uh, you know, dissatisfied in life. And I, I think, you know, part of me is that I, it just like, I come from a background, it's like wanting to be a bridge builder. I'm like a mixed race person that wants to be able to like see the other point of view all the time, even if I don't agree with it. And so I think my instinct is really to try to have some um, empathy, even for the things that I don't um, agree with. And uh, and I think that's hard in this world. I think people really, people want you to take a hard line and they want to see films too, that have a point of view that's very specific. People are very um, used to seeing advocacy films. And so they're very, you know, I'm surprised that people are um, that people are noting the balance in this film, or that you know, the, applauding the fact that more than one point of view was shown. Because I think that that's like how stories used to be told. Um, you know, you can never be totally fair and balanced on anything, but we've gotten so used to people being very um, specific in their point of view and putting that forth and nothing else. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that perspective really did it served the film quite well because um, you can't really, you know, without empathy, you can't really show what the situation is, is like. Um, I guess I was just, you know, and this might be just my own hobby horse and so you don't have to engage with it, but you know, I don't know. I, I, I also found that there was something um, like if I project into the future, right. That there was something that was like almost disturbing about it to me, right. That, that um, these issues like the Harvard, case you know which which one of the characters in your film was was part of uh the peter lang case right like if this is going to be the sort of future of of asian american organizing which i think it is you know like and i think your film like sort of very demonstrably proves that it is even if that wasn't your intent right um you know like if, if if it is these spots where where it seems like the asian community is in conflict with the black community right um and it's like, well, what about us? You're helping them. Like, does like does that does that like what do you what do you think about that? Because I think that that was also perceived by the people who were on the other side that you were also filming, right? Well, um, I mean, I think I think one of the things we want to do in the film is also make it clear that there are structural um, there's systems in place that are making all this happen. Um, so you know the structural oppression and like white supremacy, all these things that benefit from us um, taking different sides on these issues are, are really things that we want to look at. And I think that some audiences will see that in the film and that will be, you know, I think that part of, part of what we were making the film for was, is like a warning sign. And that's why I wanted to be in present tense, even because I think all these future issues are really um, going to be dealing with a lot of the same stuff. Um, you know, little things that you're, you know, these are very quick mentions in the film that some people won't listen to, but you obviously picked up on it, you know, like this, this Harvard stuff, affirmative action debates, like those things are, 
those are all future issues where we're going to be um, where you know structures of oppression benefit from us taking different sides on those. So, um, so yes, I mean it's uh, you know I think oh, by and large I'm like a, a positive, hopeful person. And I had a friend, <laughs> I had a friend DM me today who's like an incredible black filmmaker who wrote me, and he was just like, I know you're a positive person, but this just this film is just like. It depressed me, and I and I acknowledge that this film may depress a lot of people, and it may give some people some hope. But um, I think that it, it it does like identify some problems, and and by bringing some things to light, um, we can think about how to work on them. Those of us that are positive and hopeful and think that there's change. <laughs> well, can I can I just can I can I? I mean, I don't know what what your friend said in this DM, but you know, I got like, and I don't, you know, this is not like, I also found parts of it to be. Um, you know, if, if I am as somebody who's like, you know, interested in figuring out ways in which solidarity can be built, right. Where these movements of people, like, I agree that, that mobilizing all these people is, is no small feat. Right. And if it was, and it's something that, that like my own political bent, like there's no way we could get Asian Americans to sort of come out in the same way that this community came out because we don't have the right message and we don't, we are very disconnected from those communities. Um, but it did seem like, you know, when I was watching it, I was just like, wow, uh, if the goal is sort of this positive solidarity, right, where communities understand each other, we're so far apart. I mean, did, yeah. did you, did you sense that? I imagine that's what your friend was DMing you about because it's like, you know, it's, and it's not just from the, you know, this is not to both sides it. And I don't think you were doing it as well, but you know, there are things that are said, uh, by some of the black organizers, just like stuff like, uh, you know, like, uh, if you go to a Chinese restaurant in your neighborhood and you order the, the wings and you know, that money is going straight to help Peter Lang, which is obviously not true, right? Like uh, it's not like every Chinese restaurant owner in in those neighborhoods is like funneling money out to Peter Lang. Now there's a larger argument that could be made about, you know, like those business in those neighborhoods, but that's, that wasn't how it was expressed. Right. And Mm -hmm. then of course, on the other side, there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff that, you know, just translates as, as sort of, uh, fears of black criminality, right? Like where there are mm-hmm. people saying like, well, there's a cr- criminal elements in the city and you can just tell what they're saying. I don't know, did, did you feel more hopeful for the possibility of some sort of like, uh, you know, solidarity and like sort of finding shared interests or, or did you feel less so after making this film? I mean, I don't know if the film changed any of my points of view. I mean, I think that, I think that there is growing anti-Asian-ness it, in our community, I mean, in the U.S. in general, I mean, right. this, and I think that there's, I think that a lot of, I think a lot of Asian American filmmakers would be afraid to point that out. I think that's a very important thing to point out. It's not just, I mean, there's for sure anti-blackness in the Asian community. And I think the Asian community has been able to acknowledge that for a long time, but, um, you know, we're in a, we're in a space now where a lot of this is being, you know, this, we had four years of Trump that like was just fueling anti-China behavior, and and we still are seen as like perpetual foreigners. So that right. really translates into anti-Asian behavior across the um, the nation. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's you know, I think what's important is that one of the things that we thought about as we were rolling out this film is like whether this, you know, whether, you know, we were rolling it out during a pandemic. So we crippled a lot of our ability to have these sort of cross-cultural conversations. We did think that the film would enable folks to have conversations across um, the divide, but also perhaps more importantly for it to be a safe space or an a, a inspiration for discussion points for, I don't know if I can say the word, right? Is it intracultural or whatever, like the in-community conversations. Right. Like I think it's, I think it's almost more important when um, Asian folks or Black folks watch this film for us to um, have commun- you know, conversations within our own groups um, about how we're dealing with all this stuff than it is for us to have communication across the divide, I, you know, arguably. So I hope that, um, you know, I, I think that I think that folks can acknowledge that these things are happening in our communities, and I think that. Um, and I think that you can see from the film that nobody really wins, you know, nobody really wins. And if so, if we're, if we're having, you know, if we're having these feelings, if these things are growing, if these anti other community biases are growing and none of us are winning, um, you know, we're seeing that happen in the film. We, we need to know that there's, we need to like make a pivot. There needs to be another way. Um, so I don't know. I am hoping that, uh, 
I'm hoping that it will result in, in more conversation. And, you know, one of the things that we were able to do with PBS is translate the film into Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also hope there'll be some sort of like intergenerational conversations. Um, you know, I guess there's an assumption that some of the old, that more of the English limited folks are, are going to be older folks. But um, what's been exciting is that young people have watched the film that are more on sort of the progressive side and, realizing that we have a translated version, they they think that they can communicate with their elders in a different way to have like a baseline, uh, sort of, you know, with some emotional content um, and some quieter conversations to be able to talk to their elders and and really think through these issues with them in a different way. When you, like, uh, have you gotten any response from the people that you filmed within the uh, Chinese American community after watching the film? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been it's it? been hard in this pandemic world, but you know, generally speaking, I think um, they they've been had positive responses. Um, I haven't had anybody come for me yet. Let's put it that way. I was definitely very nervous in making the film. I thought, like, you know, I, I think the anxiety of all the organizers really uh, affected me too. I mean, there was you know, obviously, there's a scene where Kathy's talking about having been. Uh, sort of doxxed and and attacked by right. the community, and I and I just felt like there was so much stress from all sides um, that I, it was affecting me, and I, I really thought that it was gonna, you know, all all folks were gonna come at me when this film came out. So I mean, I guess that's one of the benefits of being in the pandemic, and nobody has actually been in my face yet. But um, we'll see as it rolls out, like how people react. But so far, you know, I think people have arguments with things that are that appear in the film, and they most folks dislike the fact that the other point of view is shown at all, but, um, but nobody has really, um, expressed very specific complaints with me yet. Um, we touched on this before, but like, uh, you know, there's a scene where one of the, one of the people that you interview is talking about this, you know, difference between people who came over after 1965 and people who Mm -hmm. came before 1965. It's, uh, you know, I don't know. People who listen to the show will probably be rolling their eyes because I talk about this all the time. But I, you know, it struck me as uh, like, where, where do you, where did you see that divide, or like, why, why do you think that that subject was talking about that? And did you see that, you know, in in your filming? Like, did you see a divide there? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's like, uh, the real differences that, I, I, you know, our community is is not monolithic at all. It's so very fractured and so very diverse and. Uh, people just see us all as like people with black hair and black eyes. And, um, and uh, you know, the, when you came, when you immigrated to this country makes, is, is a, makes a huge difference in terms of like your, your point of view here, your feeling of power here and um, who you connect with. I mean, the, the waves of Chinese immigration alone are, are right. so diverse. Um, you know, you're talking about the difference between like working class people. You're talking about, you know, men and women came at different times. Um, you're talking about educated class, a class of people that felt, uh, you know, some folks were coming here and escaping political persecution. Some folks came here expecting um, political power because they had it when they when they left. Um, so I think it's, uh, they're very different. They're very, very different points of view, um, many of which were lassoed in, in sort of the Peter Liang movement um, under the same sort of umbrella of, of, you know, feeling unheard and wanting more um, for the community. Well, I, I want to talk about the young sort of progressive-ish people or, you know, the people that you described as sort of woke-ish, right, that, that were part of this movement. Because I just remember when the protests were happening, I watched this video online of this young woman who gave this talk, and it was about white supremacy, and it was about Martin Luther King, and that, you know, Martin Luther King is discussed in the film because it, you know, it's one of the striking images, I think, of... of protest was how many signs were you know mm-hmm. injustice anywhere is uh, a front to justice everywhere right um or the the, the quote from uh Martin luther king like what what were their motivations in in being part of this movement and like i just you know like just from my perspective i remember that happened i tried to put i would i tried to put myself in that position right and i was like well i think that even if i felt this way which i didn't because my own politics are you know whatever like extremely uh against any form of police violence, which, you know, I'm not saying self-righteous is just, you know, sort of my politics, but like, would I have, would I have gone to this thing and would I have shown my face? And I'd be like, well, I don't think so because I think I would have been totally petrified by, um, by being judged for being in that space at all. 
right? And what it would mean. And I think maybe even rightfully people would associate it as, as being, well, if you're there, then you believe X, Y, and Z. Like what were, what were sort of the perspectives of some of these young people who were well-versed in the language of white supremacy, who were well-versed in civil rights movement, um, you know, like who, if you had talked to them in any other context, you would imagine that they were just like another young progressive Asian American person. Like what, what were, what were their motivations and like, why were they there? I mean, I hate answering for all people, but it's, um, oh, sure. right. it's definitely, I mean, I think it definitely comes down to this, um, the, the, the word they use all the time was scapegoat, but I think that that actually might be somehow a lost in translation thing because I think goat and sheep and like ram are kind of all the same animal in Chinese. I don't know. I don't know the language well, but I think, you know, um, I think what people really meant was more like sacrificial lamb, not mm. scapegoat. Um, and I think that the folks that a lot of folks felt like um, that Peter Leong, who was by and large, they believe to be a decent, a decent cop, not a bad cop, not a bad apple. There's no evidence that, you know, to them, there was no evidence that he intentionally shot. Um, there was no video evidence that showed anything egregious. Um, and um, I think they felt like he was, he was being, you know, there is, a, I think there's a line in the film, you know, that, that he was being, uh, given over to appease the community. This was like at the height of like the Black Lives Matter movement and all these other folks were not getting convicted. And this was a guy that was not gonna have enough support um, to get a fair shot that he was gonna be given as a, as a I don't wanna say a gift, but he was going to be given to, to appease the Black Lives Matter movement. That's what I think a lot of folks were thinking. Um, you know, it may, it may have been something else, but um, more of a sacrificial lamb thing than a scapegoat. It's not that he didn't do something that he might not have been culpable in some way and he might not have should, should have gotten some punishment in some way, but that he was going to be, um, he was going to be another, you know, person in the film says it, like saddled with the sins of all the other police officers, not just whatever sin he had committed. Um, well, uh, yeah, I, I just have a couple other questions, but like the, and then, and then, um, you know, we can, we can go, but where, where do you think that this movement of people goes from here, right? Um, like, I know that they were very active in the Harvard case after this, which, you know, um, but I think what you've shown in the film, and I think that, you know, uh, one of the things that will surprise people is just how organized this is and just how many people can show up and, you know, how the foundation of it is actually quite solid as opposed to, you know, some of the stuff in progressive spaces, uh, not, not, not in Asian American communities. As you said, most of the organizing has been for immigrant rights or for, for labor rights and which is obviously very progressive, but just sort of messaging. Um, yeah. Wh where do you see it going? Or, or like, you know, I know that that's not your responsibility as filmmaker to make, but I'm just curious, like where you, where you see this going. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that you're right. It is very organized and they described it to me. Um, you know, they had, there was sort of a national organizing body and then there were like local organizers. It was very interesting how they, the structure of the organizing, which I think is something that someone else should investigate and write about. Um, maybe you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that, I think that right now, most of these folks were, uh, you know, most of these folks are involved in the anti-Asian hate crime stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that is, um, I, I think that almost every single person I can think that was organizing on this case is involved in that now. Um, I think they're going to continue to be organizing in this education equality kind of space or however they phrase it. Um, Kathy is interesting, uh, the subject who was sort of leading the um, Asian folks who are supporting the Akai Gurley family. She's been working on research detailing what she calls she's dubbing it the Asian Tea Party. So uh, that's not the name that anyone calls them, the Chinese Tea Party. It's not the not name that anyone calls themselves, but there's this idea that there is like really a growing conservative group um, and that it needs to be considered and, and looked at. And, um, and so I think that, you know, I think that there's going to be a point in which this splinters off a little bit, because I think there are going to be some folks that are much more interested in conservative causes and, and um, conservative puppeteers are going to be very successful in getting to, to move to their corner. Um, and I think there's, there's this sort of like this more general mass, like these sort of like wokeish, educated ish, uh, folks that were inspired by this case and probably inspired by the anti-Asian hate crime stuff, um, 
are are going to be inspired by specific things and they're not going to be able to be pulled into this into the movement for for just any topic um but i think that they'll you know they'll con- I think this moment right now is interesting because there is a lot of attention on the community. I think for some of us, it's very frustrating. You know, the stuff, the scene that I filmed in the film, that's like literally the meaning about anti-Asian hate crime stuff um, is, uh, is many years old that, that I filmed in like 2016, you know, and I like, it was one of those scenes that we almost cut out. Was it relevant? Is it not relevant to me? It was relevant to sort of like the emotional mood of the people, but you know, there's some folks that are so tired of, um, of talking about these things and but now there's there's actually some momentum and i think um there's political momentum now i mean we asian americans were very instrumental in like turning in turning georgia and um you know there were very specific groups that were operating to to help um work against trump so i mean i, I don't know i don't know i mean your question is hard to answer where does it go from here i think it does splinter a little bit i do think it has like a great foundation to to latch onto new topics and this this one, this moment right now um, is one that other folks are listening to. And so I think it's going to last for a while. Um, yeah, my, my last question was really sort of like, a, you know, very specific to, um, you know, the, the editing process and the documentary. Like when you when you have this type of footage, right, and um, and a lot of it is, you know, very emotional and filled with emotion um, and you know, I don't, I think that you are, as a journalist, are, like, uh, considered and smart enough to know, well, I'm not just going to, like, draw a line down the middle and say, well, some people are right and some people are wrong, you know, and, like, we got to hear both sides on all of this, and both sides are equally correct, but, you know, you're, you're, instead of doing that, your idea is to try and get some sort of truth about what is happening, right, like, how, how does that work in editing, Right. Um, and how does that work in the documentary film process? Because, like, you know, like, I, I have some sense of how it works in writing journalism. And, um, but, you know, like, like, what are some of the decisions that you have to make and what are some of the thoughts that you have to? I mean, you have you have to have like an amazing editor that you're willing to like talk to and argue with all the time. Um, and so I had actually a team of black and Asian team, um, Michelle Chang and, and Jason Harper. Um, they edited consecutively not together but we had really interesting conversations in the edit and they would fight for things same with some of my um producer collaborators um Mm. and uh you know another part of it is really testing things out we did a lot of like screenings where we were looking at balance and you know for this type of story uh, definitely down the middle doesn't create balance at all yeah you know even you know we had like sort of three points of view right you had the akai girly supporters you had the asian people supporting akai girly and then you had the asians supporting peter leung and if you made that like a trifecta it doesn't work <laughs> some people yeah. would just be like because there were people that would be like there there's so much asian they just because that asian faces even if they were saying the exact same things as the black organizers people would say there was too much asian stuff in the film and it really leaned towards the peter leung side if we included you know so much of the the Asian faces that were there for Akai. It's, it was weird. You know, there's weird things like that that were affecting the balance. And then there was also the, emo- there's also the emotional balance, right? So a lot of the points of view of um, the Akai girly family were so much more emotional, you know, and so much more intimate. And so those things weigh very heavily in the edit and they take, um, you know, a tiny little moment can, can really throw the emotional balance very far in one direction. So that was always like a consideration when we were thinking about whether, you know, whether or not ultimately Peter declined to be in the film, you know, we obviously wanted him to be in the film, but to, it was just almost this fear that he would say yes, because that would create like, an, um, that would throw the emotional balance very far um, in one direction, I assumed. And so it would be very difficult to navigate in the edit because you don't have, you don't have the Kai, you don't have the ability to have a Kai speak for himself and, and sort of balance that out. So, and I think it would have been a different film if he was in it, right? Yeah, it definitely. It would have been a litigation of who he is. And I think actually the film that you made, which is about what is a community, you know, um, which I, you know, I don't know. I don't mean to be like annoyingly logliney or something about it, but you know, like that's what I got. I was like, oh, this is a film about how communities respond, right? I don't know. I, I think it journalistically, it's way more important, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't really know if I care what Peter Lang thinks about what happened about all this stuff. You know, I guess I care curiosity wise but i don't know what it adds to any sort of conversation about it and so i don't know maybe it's a blessing or something like that 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 he decided that he wasn't going to be um part of it uh yeah well um yeah so we're at an hour which is like what we promised so 
uh, thanks for coming on. You know, I, I, can you just tell people just once again where they can find you and find find the film? Yeah, you can find me online on social at uh, I think googling my name is the easiest. Um, we, I work under the umbrella of Non-Compliant Films, so you can find information about Nyman or Down a Dark Stairway at Non-Compliant Films. And um, the film right now is streaming um, on the PBS app and website. So um, look for it. You can find a translated version in Chinese as well. And look for that version and share it with somebody who speaks Chinese if, if you can. Um, okay, great. Yeah, I think and the people who listen to the show understand that like when I think they can tell at this point when Tammy, Andy and I have somebody on who we're not so thrilled about. But I would say that, you know, like the I think it's really important for people who are interested in these issues to watch this film, regardless how you feel about it on any side, just because there is a sort of visual documented proof and, uh, you know, like the just intimacy towards where you can really see why people are thinking the way that they're thinking that I just haven't seen before. Um, you know, like it's just so rare. And I, I was trying to think about corollaries. Of course I thought about, you know, like uh, who killed Vincent Chin and, Things like that, but I don't even think that's really uh, the right comparison, right? Like it is sort of the right comparisons. I think are just great verite films where you can see people interacting, whether you know, I don't know, Frederick Wiseman or whatever, right? And I think it's 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 uh, it it is at that level, and you know, I, I, I gotta say, I was I, was, you know, I don't know, it's just my way of applauding what you did. I thought it was great. That means a lot to me. Thanks a lot, Jay. <laughs> okay so uh thanks for listening to the show um you can uh please support the show you can do it on patreon or Substack, and um you know by once again i'll just say like you said you can just google the show name if this is the first time that that you've heard of it um if you want to get in touch with us you can find us on twitter at ttsg pod and you can dm the show or you can email us at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com okay thanks ursula Thank you.